What's up, y'all a little faith? And welcome to episode number 11 of season 2 of the Fagnostic Podcast. I'm your hostess, not your Moses, Matt Hayes. And if I'm still giving you episodes, it means that I am still looking for answers. Y'all, today's guest is Father Shannon T.L. Kearns, a transgender man who believes in the transformative power of story. He's an ordained priest in the old Catholic priesthood tradition, a playwright, and a theologian. He's the co-founder of QueerTheology.com, which has reached more than a million people all over the world through videos, articles, and online courses and community. His first book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, comes out on August 9th from Erdman's Publishing. Shannon is a recipient of the Playwright Center Jerome Fellowship in 2021, and he was a Lambda Literary Fellow for 2019 and a Finnovation Fellow for 2019 and 2020. He's a sought-after speaker on transgender issues and religion, as well as a skilled facilitator on a variety of workshops. You can connect with him on social media at Shannon T.L. Kearns, that's on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, or on his website, ShannonTLKearns.com. If you're in L.A. this weekend on July 16th, check out his play reading at the Road Theater in North Hollywood. Now, welcome to the show, Father Shannon. Father Shannon, thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you're on the show to talk about your journey uh, with the divine and to educate my listeners uh, as to how you are experiencing redemption in your faith uh, through your story. And and hopefully others will find uh, resonance with that in their own lives. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. It's it's really great to be here. Awesome. And we're going to talk about your book and everything else. Um, And uh, yeah, first things first, are you a believer? I am. What does that word mean to you? Yeah, for me, I'm just so compelled by the story of Jesus, which is the story that I was raised in. Um, although I, I approach that story much differently than the way that I was raised in it. Um, but for me, there's there's something so compelling uh, in this Jesus story that has shaped my life in really profound ways. Um, and I do believe in something bigger than us, um, bigger than humanity. And I tap into that through the Jesus story, though I don't think that the Jesus story is the exclusive way to tap into the divine. Um, but so because of all of that, I would, I would call myself a believer. Great. I want to talk about that more too, about how you just said that you don't feel like Jesus is the only way to experience the divine, because uh, it counters scripture. I think John fourteen six being I am the the only way, and I always wonder how people who are of a postmodern faith can can approach that verse in scripture and then still go to bat. Um, so we're, I want to hit on that as soon as we finish this next question. <laughs> can you uh, just to get the first two out of the way? Can you identify your pronouns for us? Sure, my pronouns are he, him, his. Thank you so much, uh, which plays directly also into your your faith journey. So let's go. How, first question off the bat there, how do you grapple with that scripture in this book that you hold to be a guide for life and faith? Yeah, so I mean, so, you know, the short version of my story is that I was raised a fundamentalist evangelical uh, and grew up to become the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Um, And so that journey in a sentence like there's a lot in there but i think that that also talks about how you know i was raised to read scripture as the inerrant literal word of god um and as i grew up and learned more and went to seminary i i came to find that instead of being the inerrant inerrant literal word of god um that that what we have instead is a collection of texts of people who are grappling with what it means to be in relationship with one another, what it means to be in relationship to the divine. Um, And that when we encounter these texts, we too are grappling with those same things. And some of what we're grappling with is how do we read these texts that were written by a particular people in a particular time and a in a particular place um, and interpret them now. And so, you know, John is my least favorite of all of the gospels. I, Ooh, I know that- do tell why. Uh, first of all, because it was like really weaponized. I, I think like in growing up in evangelical spaces, right? There was all of these things of like, just read the gospel of John and you'll know everything that you need to know. And it's like, no, every gospel was written by and for a particular community um, to, 
kind of make their argument for who they understood Jesus to be. John is the latest of all of the gospels. And I think by that time, we get a real sense of people theologizing what had been a very human story. And so I, I think that that makes me uncomfortable with a lot of the really kind of explicit and exclusionary claims that John makes that I don't feel were in the other gospels and that I feel like grapple with um, other texts that we get. So, and I, I should know this because I grew up, it sounds pretty similar to you. Are, do the other three gospel or the other three canonized gospels, do they not purport the exclusivity that John does with that verse? It's not the same. Yeah, for sure. Wow. I guess, I, I mean, I knew all the gospels were kind of different. There were some um, conflicting accounts, shall we say, uh, of the Christ, but I didn't uh, realize that that was one of them. Um, can you talk about the old Catholic priesthood? Because that's, uh, I, I just assume that there's one Catholic context period. Um, and with you being a trans priest, the only trans man priest in the Catholic priesthood, right? Uh, no, it was just the first. There are okay. more of us. Uh, but I was the first one to be out. So what the uh, fuck is the old Catholic process. priesthood then? <laughs> yeah, so the old Catholic Church is an independent, progressive Catholic group that that is not in communion with Rome, that ordains women, LGBTQ plus folks, people who are married, partnered, and divorced. Uh, it started in the Netherlands, in Utrecht, in the late 1700s. Um, so it's, it's not a new tradition. It's not like some people you know, kind of brushed it off as like this newfangled Catholic group. It's not. It's very ancient. Um, came to the United States around 200 years ago. Some rogue bishops came to the U.S. and started ordaining people, which I find a delightful story. Um, and so the the in the U.S., it's very small. Uh, it's very scattered. Lots of really small communities. But most of the communities are really focused on new church starts and social justice work and, and ministering to people that have felt kind of left behind or left out of the Roman Catholic context. I was going to say all the things that the Catholic Church tends to lock out. Um, that's yeah. fascinating, but it's also interesting that they call themselves the old Catholic priesthood, as if to say that the current is not the right one. So has there ever been discussion of either like renaming the tradition to something that sounds a bit more contemporary or... I'm not sure. You know, I think um, originally they chose the name Old Catholic because they felt that they were being uh, more faithful to what the church was set out to do and and, and not the Roman church. Um, so I, I think that there's some, you know, there's some historicity there, even as I, I find the name to be confusing to a lot of folks. Sure. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so why? Because I, I know a lot of Catholics when they... You know, because I feel like Catholicism is one of the few Christian denominations that is a bit more cultural in comparison to like Judaism versus, you know, you switching between Baptist and Methodist. So and a lot of Catholics, when they come to an evolved mindset or faith, they tend to go Episcopal, um, which, you know, people jokingly refer to as Diet, Cath Diet Catholic or Catholic light. Um, <laughs> what made you stick around with, with, with a word that has a connotation that is not um, as gracious and loving and uh, affirming as other denominations? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I was really drawn to how the old Catholic Church functions um, and what they really feel called to in the in the U.S. in particular. Um, this this kind of really scrappy group of folks who almost almost all of the priests have other jobs. They work secular jobs. They're working um, almost as chaplains and trying to really go out and create communities that reach people that have been historically excluded and marginalized. Um, and I was really drawn to that. I also was really inspired by so many Roman Catholic thinkers and, and social justice activists um, in my own faith journey, you know, Dorothy Day, Philip and Daniel Berrigan. And so to consider myself and to be in community um, with folks that are shaping their lives in that way, I, I found to be um, meaningful. And, and I love, I do love liturgy and this kind of juxtaposition of a justice bent and liturgical form. Um, and I've always been someone who uh, I kind of refuse to let people take words from me, <laughs> right? As someone who like grew up so often without language to define myself. Um, I'm really particular about 
the words that I use and, and want to claim this tradition and reclaim it in a lot of ways and, and work to reshape it. And that's, that's an important part of my journey. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I feel really lucky to be a part of this community. Yeah, I love that. I feel like so many people who who are in grapplings with their faith, it is all about reclaiming the, the things that were used as weapons against you, because when you reclaim those weapons, all of a sudden, they're not as harmful anymore. They're a bit more yeah. uh, love-led and, and bright. So you said you grew up evangelical. What, what denomination? I grew up in the Grace Brethren Church, um, which is really small. Uh, they broke off of the Brethren's in the 1930s because they wanted to be more fundamentalist. Um, so if that gives you if that's, if that's about, even possible, <laughs> if that's even possible, yeah. Um, so they consider themselves a fellowship of churches. They don't even consider themselves a denomination, but they really they do function like a denomination. Wow. And and so and you grew up in Kansas, right? No, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. Oh, whereabouts? Um, uh, Upper Black Eddy. So it's this tiny, tiny town on the New Jersey border in between New Hope and Easton uh, for I, folks that are familiar I, with that area. I love Pennsylvania town names because they all like that Upper East Eddie sounds so Pennsylvanian. <laughs> I used to be a dancer right? yeah. at, uh, at Hershey Park. I was a clogger in a country show there. Um, but so I've spent some time in Eastern Pennsylvania and I just remember like going to some of the like the Amish and the Shaker, you know, little markets they'd have set up with like their quilts yeah. and their jams and their breads. Uh, I, I loved that part of the country. It was really beautiful. And the people were great too. So what made yeah. you, I mean, in, in, in growing up evangelical, what, was finding this denomination of Catholicism, is that what kind of allowed you to maintain a faith through your coming out? Or, or was there a, peri- a chapter or a period where you, you know, hated God, you hated the divine? Yeah, I started to really wrestle with my faith. So I um, stayed in the Evangelical Grace Brethren Church up through college. I went to a college that was associated with my church. Um, And it was in college that I kind of had a couple of realizations. One, that this like gay thing wasn't going away, no matter how hard I prayed that I would not be it. Um, And two, that like, if it wasn't going to go away, I was going to have to figure some things out about my faith. Um, But also, I was starting to have some questions about things I had been taught, particularly Mm -hmm. around, um, you know, if God really is a God of love, then like, why are people so mean? And why does this tradition seem really hurtful? Um, And so I went on a journey post-college of trying to really figure out what I believed. And part of that for me was being willing to examine everything I had been taught uh, and being willing to let it go if I if I didn't feel like um, I could find a backing for it. And so I did a ton of reading. I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. Um, I read a ton. So I like read all of these books and really kind of dove deep into all of these questions of like, did Jesus really have to die? What did salvation mean? What did the resurrection mean? Um, what was the earliest church for, like, like? Really trying to grapple with all of these things. Um, and funnily enough, it, it wasn't my sexuality or gender identity that really kind of broke things for me. It was learning that the rapture, this doctrine that I've been like terrified of, um, was invented in the 1800s by some dude in England. And I was like, are you kidding me? This thing that I had thought like had been handed down from Jesus was like some English dude. The um, rapture and that is one of my was... favorite things to talk about. I'm obsessed oh, yeah. with the rapture. It is so exciting. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it was this, but it was this moment of like, oh, if they lied to me about that, yeah. what else have they lied about? Mm. Uh, and that became an unraveling moment where I was just like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to allow myself to be willing to throw everything away and see what happens. Uh, And what happened for me was that instead of, instead of on the other end coming away with no faith, I actually came away with a really robust faith that was really grounded. Uh, It was grounded in love and not fear. and was also grounded in a sense of, of calling, calling towards justice and toward working for good in the world. Um, and and was grounded in a in a sense of this Jesus story and and so I mean I definitely had periods where I like hated the church where I wanted to ditch the whole thing um, but for me there was something that kind of kept pulling me and calling me back and uh, and and I'm grateful for that now I'm I'm grateful for both the entire process of 
of taking everything apart, but I'm also grateful that now anything that I do believe it's because I've really grappled with it and not because I've been told that I have to believe it or God will smite me. Right. And now you're serving others uh, who are going through what you were just going through. Uh, Queertheology.com is, is your website. And I find it to be such a concise location for every resource imaginable of wherever you are on the queer spectrum. Um, but what, when you were coming out, was it encompassing your gender and sexual expression identity? Or was it, was it a step-by-step process? Can you talk me through that? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in the 90s, early 2000s. So, like, Google didn't exist. I barely had access to the internet. Um, So I didn't know trans people existed. I knew from kind of the time I went through puberty that something was off in my body that I I didn't feel comfortable. Um, But I didn't have any language for that. And, like, I was in a world where it was just, like, there are boys and girls and that's it. Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean that you don't feel like one of them? Like that, that doesn't exist. Um, and so when I realized that like gay people existed, I thought, oh, well maybe that is the word for me. Uh, and I was looking at people like Ellen and being like, okay, well, Ellen's kind of boyish. Like maybe that's it. And so I came out first as gay and for a while felt like, okay, this is like, I have named myself. This will be fine. And as I, spent a couple of years in that identity, I realized it's like there's still something else that I still don't have language for that isn't right. I, I'm not, I'm looking at the other folks in the lesbian community and I, they are having a very different experience of their bodies, of the world than I am having. And I don't know how to grapple with this. And my partner at the time asked me like, do you think you might be transgender? And I was like, well, no, of course not. Like, I, I can't be that. And I, I remember like having such a visceral response to that because I really thought like, man, if I come out again, I, I have already lost so much coming out the first time. If I come out again, it's over. Like, I'm, yeah. there's no way that I will ever be able to have any faith. My family will disown me. Um, but like once that seed was planted again, I, I went to books. I started reading and the more I'm reading kind of memoirs of, of trans men, the more I'm like, oh, oh, this is like, this is the thing. This has been the missing piece. Um, and so I came out as trans. Actually, I was in seminary at the time. My second year of seminary, I came out. Um, and and was this, thankfully, was this seminary I was, associated with the evangelical sect or was this seminary associated with the old Catholic priesthood? Uh, neither. I, I went to Union Theological Seminary in New York, uh, which so it's an interdenominational, very, very liberal seminary. Okay. I was only the second student um, that I know of to transition while in seminary. So there still were kind of trying to figure out like, what? we we accept you and we're glad you're here. We don't really know what to do with you. Uh, so it was, it was a bit of like feeling each other out. And kind but of I imagine that, that you also, I mean, accidentally created a lot of dialogue around the idea of of transness in the church and also yeah. how it relates to the, the spirituality of Christ. Because there's even, I mean, there's some, I think, some gender confusion around Jesus and around God. And I mean, you know, yeah. even referring to them as pronouns, I think, can be a bit confining to what the experience actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that was the really shocking thing, right? Like, I expected when I transitioned that I would, you know, feel better about my body. And I did. What I didn't expect, and which has been such a gift, has has been how it's reconnected me to, to spirit and to the divine. Because I had spent so long with this um, this divide, right? This divide between my, my body and my soul, um, that when I was able to embody and be embodied for the first time, I was able to, like, look at scripture in a new way. And I was also able to connect emotionally with scripture again. My faith had become really intellectual during my kind of deconstruction process, which was great. And and it needed, I needed that time. But when I like came back into my body, suddenly that connection of being able to like read scripture and see connections to myself was 
mind blowing for me. And then when I started to share those connections, it became a way in for other people too. Uh, and that was when I was like, oh, there's something like really, really juicy here, not just for me and for my own spiritual process, but like for how we can be and read in community. Um, and that's, that's just been such an unexpected gift that I'm so, so grateful. So you were at the time realizing, okay, this is not just about my own spiritual healing, but like I'm clearly going to be used as a vessel or a catalyst for other people to find healing and, and relationship with the divine. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say that if, if religion is to be saved, I, I usually specify Christianity, but um, it, but the more I, I speak to people, if religion is to be saved, it is going to be done through the queer voices because they're the ones who have had the ultimate grapples with faith and the divine. And if they return, it must be for something decent. Yeah, yeah, wow. I agree. And I think that like, I, I think that, you know, we talk at queertheology.com all the time about how the, the conversation isn't just about, like, can you be LGBTQ plus and Christian? It's really about, like, what do the unique insights that LGBTQ plus people of faith have that they are gifting to the church? Like, it's, it's good news for all of us, um, not just for queer and trans folks, that, like, it's actually a much bigger conversation and the things that we're bringing to the table when we're reading and interpreting scripture are actually things that can unlock things for all people. Yes. Um, and if they'll just listen, right? Like that's the, that's the piece that there's real beauty and power there. Yeah. And queer people, I think also innately have a better understanding of concepts presented in the Bible, such as the Trinity, because in our own personal lives, and, and I'm speaking from a, a cisgendered, you know, seemingly, you know, masculine presenting gay man, but I still understand that duality in my mind of of being, you know, finding comfort in feminine attributes as a kid because I didn't know I didn't have the language to know what I was or how I was. Um, but we have a really good understanding of how two or more things can exist simultaneously within us. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So how when when did you create queertheology.com? We started that in, I think, like 2013 now. Um, and the, the reason we started it is, uh, so my colleague Brian Murphy and I uh, co-founded it together. And the conversation, this even is, in This is life, life partner spaces, or business partner? Business partner. Okay. Um, like, we might as well, I mean, we're like brothers. Yeah. <laughs> we've, been, <laughs> we've been doing this for so long. But, you know, when we started it, the conversation, even in kind of progressive religious spaces, was still about, can you be LGBTQ plus and Christian? Um, can our churches allow LGBTQ plus people to be in leadership? And we were just like, this, this is boring. This is awful. Like these conversations, we're still rehashing arguments that were first made in the 1980s around, you know, the so-called clobber passages. Like, there's so much more out here. Um, and the other thing that we were realizing though is that like the really beautiful and incredible queer theology that was being done in academia was amazing, but really inaccessible to folks. Either, either inaccessible because it was really academic language or inaccessible because it was really expensive. Um, but so we wanted to create something that took, yes, absolutely it's okay to be LGBTQ plus as the starting point, but that also fused like the best of academic queer theology, but made it really accessible. Um, and we also wanted websites and graphics that looked slick and beautiful, like we had had in our evangelical churches. Like we yeah. were tired of, you know, dot matrix websites with autoplay MIDI files. <laughs> we were finding, we were like, there's, we, we can do something better. Um, and so we started it with that really simple mission of like, we want to, combine head and heart. We want to combine the academic and the accessible. We want it to be beautiful. Um, and now, almost 10 years later, it's evolved into this really amazing worldwide community. We've done courses. We've done our podcast for like over 400 episodes. I think I think we're in, I don't know, year nine or 10. I mean, it's 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 been a lot, but oh it's been God. a real beautiful journey. I don't know how journey. you get there. It is, I mean, I, this is, you were episode... 36 i think and i each week i'm like how the hell am i gonna find have one more goddamn conversation about this shit um but you know what what you just said too was interesting because it with you 
talking about the disconnect between academia and the layman, it reminds me of the, the, the struggle between Catholicism and Protestantism with the 95 Theses, you know, being kind of like the ultimatum of like, we want to know what's in this Bible. You know, why can't we know, why can't we translate this into English, you know, or, or German, whatever the, the language was. Um, and you're doing the same work. Here we are, you know, 300, 400 years later. Yeah, it's it's there's just so much beauty in the work of these thinkers. Um and we just wanna we we wanna we want folks to understand that like all, all of us can do this work, that it's not just for people with PhDs. Like you can bring your whole self to the text and see your experience reflected. And that when you do that, it's beautiful for you and it's beautiful for anyone who bears witness to that, to that work and that to your sharing of that work. Absolutely. So tell me about your podcast. Like what, what, uh, what notable guests have you had? Like what have you learned from it? Uh, what have been your challenges? So we started, um, we started it as a lectionary based podcast where we where each week we would look at the lectionary text. Um, so when we started it, can you, can you explain that for people who don't know about the lectionary texts? Sure. So the lectionary is a three year cycle um, of texts. So, so usually it's one from the Hebrew scriptures, a Psalm, uh, one from one of the Gospels and one from a Newer Testament uh, letter that most mainline and Catholic churches use to preach from um, each week. So it says holidays and festivals and all of that stuff. And so when we started, um, we started with the idea that we were going to be a resource for preachers, that if they wanted to bring a queer lens on the text, um, that we would give them some resources. So we did that for a while. And then we realized that lots of people were listening to it who weren't preachers and that this was becoming in some ways their Sunday sermon. And so we were like, oh, okay, well then we're not going to talk to preachers anymore. We're just going to talk to people. And we're going to say, if, if here's the good news that we see in this text. Um, so we did that lectionary cycle. I think we did the whole thing three times. Um, and so it's only been in this past year that we've switched to doing more interviews and having conversations with people um, and doing some series. So this year we, we did a series with rabbis and Jewish leaders, which was really, really amazing. Um, we had Dr. Amy Jill Levine on to talk about. So she teaches um, the New Testament to Christians from a Jewish perspective. Uh -huh. um, so had her on to talk, Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg. Um, We've had musicians and um, and thinkers and authors. Um, we're right now doing a series on parenting and like how you can parent queer and trans kids better. So it's been really uh, it's been a real journey. Uh, we might go back to the lectionary at some point, but uh, three years through or three times through was <laughs> might have been enough on that. Oh, way I can that's incredible and for those who have not picked up on it already the, the podcast is called queer theology the podcast um the bible every week queered you can find it on any any platform at all um and i know that you're doing the divine's work through that uh that's really rad i, I love that um tell me about your book yeah so i have a book coming out um august 9th it's called In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture. It's being published by Erdman's. Um, and it's a bit of a quirky book in that it's it's kind of a hybrid. It's a memoir, it's part memoir. So each chapter is some of my story of coming to term of growing up in the evangelical church, coming to terms with my sexuality and gender identity. Um, but each chapter is also a retelling of a Bible story. And so it kind of weaves my story together with a Bible story. Um, and then kind of opens up and asks questions of like how might reading it in this way open up a window into you the reader's journey as well um so it's it's a book that is trying to move past kind of what does it mean to be trans trans 101 here's how i defend my transness with the bible it again it kind of takes all of that as a given and instead says if we read through a trans lens, what does that open up for all of us around gender, around sexuality, around understanding the story of Jesus, understanding some of these famous Bible figures um, and, and what might that do for us? So it was a really fun book to write. Um, it's some of the most vulnerable and personal uh, work I've ever done, both theologically and uh, kind of memoir wise. Uh, and I'm really excited for, for people to, 
to read it and engage with it. There was, uh, and if you pre-order it, I believe you get two copies, um, and you get like a, a book club kind of starter kit, some stickers. Uh, but the st stickers really spoke to me. Uh, I think two of them say "trans scars are holy scars." Is that right? Um, yeah, trans scars are holy. And it really just like gave me goosebumps when I saw that because it really is like you, like you said earlier, establishing this deeper connection to the div divine by being truthful to self. Um, yeah. So I, I really loved that. Uh, that's, uh, I, yeah, I cannot wait to read it. Uh, usually I like to read the books of my guests beforehand, but I, w I really wanted to get you on. Um, and maybe it'll generate some buzz with maybe people who haven't heard of you yet. So um, that would be very exciting. But you'll have to come back also after it releases and talk about what's, you know, the, res the impact that it's made. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So you also are a notable playwright. And I, from my, what I know, you have a play that's actually doing a reading this week, this coming weekend um, in L.A. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so the Road Theatre Company, um, they're doing a summer playwrights festival. The Road Theatre is in North Hollywood. And they're doing a reading on Saturday night of my play Body and Blood, which is a play about a transgender man who is also a priest and, and a bartender. Um, and it's the... It's a play about like how we create community and where we find sanctuary and um, some of the tensions between sanctuary in the world and sanctuary in the churches. Um, and it's a it's an allegorical kind of retelling of the Jesus story um, with Jesus as a trans man. Uh, so it's a uh, it's it's the been blasphemy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there are some people that are really really uncomfortable with it. Some people that love it. Some people that like miss that it's the Jesus story altogether, uh, which I kind of love. Uh, so it's it's going to be really fun. It's a great cast of folks. Um, I'm excited to to be in community with folks um, to see it. Hell yeah. Okay, so if you are in LA uh, and you're looking for something to do this weekend, please go. Uh, stay safe because our COVID cases are rising. So just wear a mask, wash your hands, um, and Google the Rogue Theater. That's R-O-G-U-E. That's right? No, Rode. R-O-A-D. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's another theater here called Rogue Machine, the R-O-A-D Theater in North Hollywood um, for their playwriting festival. And you can find tickets to the 6 p.m. reading of Body and Blood. Yes. Awesome, awesome. Okay, will y'all go see it? With the old Catholic priesthood, I realized that there's no direct association with the Roman church. So like the Pope, you would have really no like dedication or loyalty to in terms of like following what they say. But do, does the old Catholic priesthood have their own their own kind of leader or uh, seat holder or something? Yes, so each, the old Catholic church is, is um, split up into synods and dioceses uh, in the U.S. Um, but there's a bunch of different types of old Catholics, it's very confusing. They're kind of like the Protestants in that they split a lot. Um, <laughs> and so I have a bishop that I answer to. I'm part yeah. of, a, of a communion of other priests um, and a bishop that I'm accountable to. And But we're not geographically uh, related. So, so my kind of diocese and synod that I'm a part of is stretched all throughout the United States. How would you know that? Because I mean, when I pass Catholic churches, I, you know, instinctively like cringe. But how would you know, like, from the signage on a Catholic on an old Catholic church that it's and is it is it like St. Paul's old Catholic tradition? Or I mean, how would you denote that on the signage? Often, yes. Um, many, many Old Catholic communities are too small to have their own buildings, and so they meet inside of other places. Um, and there are some old Catholic churches in the United States that don't ordain women and are are exclusive to LGBTQ plus people. So you do need to kind of do your research and figure out um, if if the church is actually welcoming. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are quite a few of them, and 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 it is a growing a growing group. Wow. So is there, I mean, I know you just said that they do kind of split sometimes, but how do you feel about calling yourself the same, the larger picture for me here, This the real question I often consider is when there's people that I just am so disgusted by, like some of the people that I watch on these January 6th hearings, I'm like, how are we the same species? Do you question that with people that also call themselves old Catholics who are, who would keep you out of their congregations or their priesthood? How do you, how do you rectify calling yourself the same thing with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you're you getting at it with your <laughs> January 6th comment, right? Of like, we have to figure out how to see the humanity in one another um, while also being very loud that like this behavior 
and ideology is unacceptable. Um, and I think it's, I think it's really hard. I, I, I think it's, I'm, I'm one of those folks who like, I don't want to look at someone else whose beliefs are abhorrent to me and tell them that they aren't allowed to be a Christian or they can't call themselves a Christian because I've, people have done that to me, right? Sure. People do that to me all the time. And also I think it is important to say that those beliefs and ideology that you're espousing is antithetical to scripture and to the message that I find in the Bible. Um, and I, and I think that this is one of those moments where like the both and and holding the tension is really important. Um, because I think that it, it actually doesn't, it doesn't help us to say, well, those people aren't real Christians because I also think that we have to grapple with what does it mean to be a part of a faith that has done a lot of harm and where harm has been done in the name of that faith. Um, and like, I have to grapple with the legacy both of Christianity and also with the legacy of Catholicism, even though I'm not a part of the Roman church. Um, and so I, I like I hold that with tension. It does make me uncomfortable. I, I don't have an easy answer to say like this is this is how I deal with it. Sure. Um, I, but I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do, I think is is say there is another way to believe um, and there is another way to be a part of tradition if if that is what you want and need. And also like part of our work in being in tradition or calling ourselves Christian, is to work against the people that are um, using it to do harm to others. Yeah. I bet Catholics just hate that you, like the thing we just talked about, how do you call yourself the same thing as somebody that we purport as evil? I bet Catholics hate that you claim the same word that they use to weaponize against you. Um, are, is, is the old Catholic priesthood overall for women's reproduction, uh, reproductive women's reproductive rights? I think it would be, it will vary um, sure. on priest by priest level. Uh, there are definitely lots of folks who yes, absolutely, hundred yeah. um, percent. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure that there are some that are not. Right. Um, do you ever fear that you're wrong? That you either are in the wrong denomination, or that you know you get to the end of life and you're just like, oh my god, what have I done with my faith, with my life? No. Um, and, and I say that not as a, not from a place of hubris or like I have it all figured out, but from a sense of, um, you know, I used to be terrified all the time of everything, right? Terrified of the rapture, terrified that God was going to send me to hell, terrified that because I was afraid of the rapture, that God was going to be mad at me, right? Like just terrified all the time. Um, and so now I, I really rest in this sense of, I believe that God is love um, and that any error in belief in particular um, is like, like the God is big enough to handle that. Um, sure. I do worry. And I think that they, like, this is what drives me is that I haven't done enough for others and that I haven't, um, invested enough in justice work. Um, and I feel like, I feel like that coming to the end of my life and feeling like I've not done enough. I don't think God is going to send me to hell for that, but I do think that like, that is the grappling. Um, that would be the regret that like, I haven't, I haven't invested enough in, in justice. Um, which is so, I mean, from the outside, after hearing you talk about your over 400 episodes of reparative, <laughs> you know, faith podcasting, um, I'm like, how can you possibly, I mean, but in that, I mean, so you just mentioned, I don't think God's going to send me to hell, but in the old Catholic tradition, is there still a hell that is, I mean, a, a literal eternal damnation? I think some people probably believe in that. I don't believe that there is a literal hell. Um, I believe that that when 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 Scripture talks about like all things will be reconciled, that like that means all 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 of the things. Right. What that looks like, I don't know. Um, whether that's a like after the end of the world type of thing, or whether that's a we're going to get there. Um, before the end of the world, I mean, hopefully we're going to get there before we blow it all up. But, um, but I do believe, like, in the reconciliation of all things, um, and that that I don't again, I, like, I don't know how that's going to look, but I I believe that that's that's 
that's where we're headed. And yeah. also that that's the joy of being a part of this tradition is that we are invited into that work, that part of what calls us forth um, is, is to be reparative um, and to, to work to bring about that reconciliation of all things, not because of fear, but, but, but because of love, that we're called by love to do that restorative work. You must get a lot of Catholics who are coming from a lot of religious trauma, finding your congregation uh, or, or the tradition of old Catholicism and just feel at peace because it's like it, there's something even even in, in experiencing religious trauma by simply going to a, an ultra conservative bigoted church, there still is a trauma in exiting the trauma because it's safety. Yes. It's the only thing, you know, it's it's, yes. you know. It, I mean, even though it's hate, it still is a warm, fuzzy place because there's other people of like minds. So you must get a lot of that of people looking for religious healing coming to your church and your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have every everything from like folks who have come out of a Roman Catholic tradition, folks who are still in the Roman Catholic tradition, former evangelicals, folks who are just leaving the evangelical church, mainline folks. Um, and part of our work is to really, I think, help people do the work of healing and sometimes what that healing looks like is leaving faith um, or leaving christianity or leaving the denomination you're a part of um and i i think that part of our work is to like help people leave well and then to figure out what spiritual practices are actually life-giving what does it look like for you to engage in a healthy way with community with the divine and that, that like doesn't have to look like the tradition you grew up in. It also doesn't have to look like another Christian tradition. I think for some people, the trauma has been so great that it's not actually possible to yeah. re-enter those spaces well, um, at least not right away, right? Like some people can need to leave for a while and then they can come back. Some people just need to leave. And, that, that, and I, I feel like part of our work is saying like, it's okay, like if you've got to leave, like, it's okay, let us help you yeah. leave well, and then find something else that, that speaks, that speaks life into your life, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's, that's, the, that's the goal. Yeah, I remember when I was, uh, and I don't even know that I would have called it deconstruction at this point, but you know, either in college or after college, when I'm, you know, clearly like coming out to myself as a gay man and just wanting to separate myself from religion, I would still go to services every now and then if I was visiting my parents or whatnot. And when I would still have those moments during the sermon or during the invitation or the call to worship of just like feeling that, I, I hate to say pull because it sounds like the, you know, the evangelical thought of that polling concept is winning but it was just that 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 return to what i knew that was th because i was so uncomfortable in this in this transition from you know uber evangelical to evolved spirit mind um but and then you know but within evangelical evangelicalism i'm sure you'll recall um there are there are preachings about how the the lord will will pull and tug at your heart you know for so long and then all of a sudden there will come a point that you're just cut off and there's no more return. And so when I finally came to peace with myself and didn't feel that that craving for what once was, people would often tell me, you know, who were on the evangelical side, well, that's because the God's cut you off and there's no more opportunity for you. And it's just like, what is wrong with you that you 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 willingly are telling somebody that they don't have a chance at divine peace or love anymore yeah. fuck off so yes. uh that, but but i have since been able to return into inside churches and really appreciate even with this podcast it started out as me wanting to just squash religion just kill it all um and there are days more often than not especially as of late where i still am of that mindset but this podcast has really taught me that there are aspects to what I was brought up in that I can still appreciate and find guiding um, and, and also use as a catalyst to the divine. Um, one of my, I play piano almost every day and some, uh, especially on Sundays, there are, there are days where I play nothing but old hymns or worship music because it just feels like a, a safe place for me to like, you know, almost reclaim the divinity that, that was once kept from me um, by using their own words. Um, so do you have hope for humanity? Oof. Some days more than others. Um, I, I mean, yes, I, I think so. Um, I, I think we're in a period of history 
that is not unique, uh, not unlike other periods of history where that, where it seems like hate is winning. Um, and that concerns me. And also, I do believe that there are enough people that care about one another, that care about creation, that care about justice, um, that that we can turn things around. But I think that part of that process is like getting really serious and, and being really honest with where we're at and with how, how much hatred and fear uh, and xenophobia and all of the phobias and isms have have been allowed to fester and grow. Um, and I think we have to like be honest with about the systems that we inhabit and are in uh, in order to, you know, and I use I use this religious exercise, <laughs> right? exercise ourselves from those systems um it's going to be hard work and it's going to require a lot of truth telling i I think that we're up to it but i think it's going to be painful in ways that um but i'm not sure we're we've really grappled with yet i think there's still this hope that right we can just we're just gonna like vote more or we're just gonna love more and it's gonna go like all the bad things will go away um and i just i think it's going to be a lot harder than that yep I think it is too. I think that we are uh, on the verge of some darker days as if we haven't had enough dark ones already. Um, Where do you see religion's place in America, specifically your faith system? Well, I think, I mean, I think that religion needs to, um, or religious people, I will speak particularly for white Christians, white Christians need to, um, have a little bit of humility and realize that um, if we're going to be a part of of the good work, that we need to be led by people on the margins, um, and that 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 frankly is what our faith congratulations calls on that on the to. congratulations on that subtle book plug. <laughs> oh, right <there. laughs> geez, I didn't didn't even mean to do that. Um, you know, I I think that like when what I see in the Jesus story is is someone who is consistently centering people um, that have been marginalized and saying, actually, like the kingdom of heaven is among them. And our job is to go out and be among them, Uh, not in order to like convert them, but because they actually have the truth and the goodness is over there. Um, And so I think that there's going to be a lot of humility required of us to, to realize, to, to name and to make reparations for the harm that our religion has done uh, and the systems that have been set up in the name of our religion. Um, and also that if we can have that humility and if we can tap back into this ancient story, I think that we can be a part of, of living into this, this new world that we're going to need that centers the people who are most at risk. Um, and that, that, that really forms society around who who needs help the most. Great, like let's let's give them what they need, um, and then I think that everything else like ripples out from there instead of the trickle down effect. Right? It's a it's a trickle up effect. Yeah, and you know it's funny because all that you just said, not to to call it back to John fourteen six, but that scripture of I am the way, the truth, the light. No one comes but the Father to the Father, but through me. You know, I mean, just the way that I kind of am hearing that now after all that you've just said is not that I'm the only way, but I am I am offering myself as a catalyst to the divine by how I live my life. And isn't that really the Great Commission after all? Isn't that the Great Commission of, Christ, of, of any faith system? To just be, to not be a stumbling block to someone advancing in life, but to be a stepping stone towards, towards something great, towards something bright, towards something equitable. Yeah, and I think that like what I so uh, appreciate in so many faith systems and traditions is that how when you go really deep into one particular system, um, it it actually allows you to be more inclusive and more expansive um, than than trying to like pick and choose from a bunch of different traditions. And so, like when I look at what it means for me to to have grown up in a Christian church. Like I can't help, but like talk in religious metaphor. Like that's, that's all I've got is what I've been (laughs) raised in. 
Um, but for me, what's, what has helped is going so deeply into that tradition um, allows me to then look at where I can learn from other religious traditions, um, where they have something to add to my understanding of the divine. And and that by going so deeply into it, that like it allows you then to enter into conversations with people from other traditions, uh, not in a not in a sense of scarcity, but in a we're all in this, and this is all a facet of understanding this greater community that we're a part of, um, and the divine, which is like incomprehensible, um, but also really beautiful. Mm. What would you say to to the divine? Were they standing before you today? Thank you. That's my first, like, best response. Um, I, I just feel such gratitude to have gone through everything that I've gone through, as painful as it was. Like, I, I feel like it's it's been a gift that has restored me to myself and restored me to community. Um, and I'm I'm just so grateful to still be here and to be invited into um, hopefully continuing that work. And I, I feel I feel a great sense of gratitude to, to, to the divine, to be invited, to be a part of, of making anyone's life and the world a better place. Amen and amen. Father Shannon, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your conversation. Your, uh, while we spoke on the disconnect between academia and layman, uh, I feel like you are such a beautiful combination of the two. Like you are able to articulate thoughts and communicate them in a way that we all understand. And I really appreciate your dedication to that effort. Thank you so much. This is really a lovely conversation. Thanks for yeah, having me. Thank you so much. I'll see you next, after your book comes out. Uh, and, and just tell us real quick also, where can we find you? I am on the interwebs on all of the socials um, at, at Shannon T.L. Kearns. Kearns is spelled K-E-A-R-N-S. Um, so I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and a little bit on TikTok, although I feel way too old. Uh, I am not <laughs> one of the cool TikTokers. I'm one of the boring ones, but I am on TikTok. <laughs> That's I, every time. I don't know if you've ever watched CNN, but every time Jake Tapper signs off, he talks about where you can find him, and he always includes TikTok. And I'm like, Jake Tapper, I love you so much, but nobody wants to see you on TikTok. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, on my on my sign off on on this podcast, it's uh, it's uh, something to the effect of you can find me on the millennial socials because uh, that, nice. that is Gen Z shit. <laughs> I don't even try to touch. <laughs> um, uh, I really appreciate your time again. Um, and after the book comes out which you all need to go purchase today so you can get the um, the OnePlus copy. Uh, we'll have you back to talk about its impact, okay? We'd love that, yeah. All right, take care. You too. And all the people said, game in. Y'all, the Fagnostic Podcast is up for the Best Queer Podcast with the People's Choice Podcast Awards, and it would mean the world to me if you went and voted for the show. You can find the link on our Instagram. All you got to do is register, vote, and then unsubscribe if you so choose. So thank y'all for listening to another episode of the Fagnostic Podcast hosted by me, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com, that's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com, or on just the millennial socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Please go subscribe, review, and share this podcast. And in the meantime, have a blessed day and peace be with all y'all. Hi, Michael Spicer here. Matt Hayes forgot to put my name in the credits of his podcast as the composer, but I'm here to tell you that I wrote the music for his podcast. Whatever the f- it's called, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>